Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. This week's story is The Fang Wang by Millie Ho, narrated by Justine Eyre. This story is copyright 2020. Millie Ho's work appears in Lightspeed Magazine, Nightmare Magazine, Uncanny Magazine, Strange Horizons, and others. She was a finalist for the 2019 Riesling Awards and lives in Montreal. Find her at millieho.net, that's M-I-L-L-I-E-H-O, and on Twitter at Millie underscore Ho. So, stay safe and buckle up. We're going to light speed, listening to Justine Air reading The Fung Wong by Millie Ho. Her skin was sore and feverish under her fingers, as it always was a few days after she came back from the dead. Candace unwrapped the bandages around her head and peeled off the itchy scabs behind her ears. She shuddered at the memory of her regeneration, the charred bones snapping back into place, the raw skin stretching over exposed nerves, the first pump of blood searing like hot acid through her reborn body. She glanced out the hospital room window and watched the ferries spill commuters back onto Hong Kong Island. She wished she could be one of them. Anyone else, really. The door opened. Her mother, still wearing her waitressing uniform, appeared in the reflection behind her. She smiled shakily when she saw Candace out of bed. They ate soggy pork belly on rice and chatted about the week Candace missed. How the restaurant owner finally kicked out his gambling addict son, how the chashu bao her mother made for a church potluck was a hit, and then about Solvin, the new anger-suppressing pills the doctor had put Candace on. It's only been two days, so it's too early to tell if they're working, Candace said. She frowned at the pill on the bedside table, which looked like a lavender tic-tac. Maybe they're a waste of money anyway. Nothing has stopped my flare-ups so far. So how likely is it that these pills will? You just said it was too early to tell, her mother said. There were dark bags under her eyes, the color of old bruises. She'd always worked multiple jobs when Candace and her little brother Sammy were growing up, and had doubled down on her shifts now that Candace was getting hospitalized at the best hospital in Hong Kong Island, the only place equipped to handle her case. Give it some time, okay? They chatted some more. And before her mother left, she told Candace that Sammy got accepted to St. Edward's International School on a partial scholarship. Guilt tightened around Candace's neck. She thought of Sammy, hunched over his textbooks in their cramped box of a living room. How Sammy always stayed up late to do homework on the top bunk of their bed, back when it was still safe to sleep in the same room. Sammy was her family's only hope for a better life but now they had to use some of the funds for his schooling on Candace's treatment. 
After the door clicked shut, Candace opened the window and sucked in the sweet summer air. Tears burned in her eyes and smeared the neon Victoria Harbor cityscape into a nauseating brightness. I'm a burden, she thought, and imagined hoisting herself onto the sill. Dust would powder the soles of her feet, and her hospital gown would balloon up with the breeze as she leaned into the mountains below. I should just die for real. Rhythmic guitars. Gritty vocals in English. Candace pressed her cheek against the mesh screen until she could see the window of the next room. Light shimmered out of it, which was a shock since she was usually the only inpatient at this hospital ward, which handled medical mysteries. She laughed when she realized that her neighbor was listening to Poison by Alice Cooper. It was a song that Sammy, who, despite his smarts, had the cheesiest music taste on the planet, replayed constantly when he studied because he claimed glam metal helped him retain information. The surprise of hearing the song, or maybe just the discovery that she wasn't alone after all, was enough to snap Candace out of her dark thoughts. She fell asleep with a pill dissolving under her tongue and promised herself that she would live another day. Candace met her new neighbor in the eating area the next morning when they both reached for the jug of tea at the same time. She looked young, maybe in her early twenties like Candace, though her straight back and raised chin gave her a dignified air that not even the baggy hospital gown draping off her thin frame could deflate. Darn, I thought I had this place all to myself, the girl said. But she slid the jug to Candace and smiled. Her name was Fiona Chow. She was the daughter of a real estate developer and had just come back from sequencing her genome in Italy, which, unfortunately, didn't tell her anything new about her condition. They ate their toast and congee by a large bay window overlooking the mountains. My father may be good at business, but he's dumb everywhere else. Fiona dipped her toast in the congee until it was soggy enough to roll up and cram into her mouth. Her nails were studded with what looked like tiny diamonds, and Candace could imagine her all dressed up in a mink coat with a designer bag hanging off her arm. He actually thought I made up my condition just to get attention. Then the physical symptoms came, and that shut him up real quick. What's your condition? Candace asked. Fiona smirked. Like I'd tell you, she said, and stole the last toast from Candace's plate. Candace looked back out the window. Forested land stretched farther than she could see, and a hot shard of anger pierced her mind. In the past few years, the rent at her housing complex had nearly doubled, and it was clearly not due to a lack of supply. The government owned all the land and controlled who could buy and develop it, which kept people like Candace and her family in tiny, water-stained apartments that were barely tall enough to stand in. Tell me about yourself. Candace blinked. Fiona had leaned forward with her face in her hands. Her eyes were luminous dark pearls, and bits of wet toast clung to her heart-shaped lips. Candace almost didn't want to ruin such innocence with her depressing truth. I burn to death sometimes, Candace muttered. And then I come back to life. She expected Fiona to snort or laugh, but all Fiona said was, Like a phoenix? Candace shrugged. I guess. She thought about the first time she incinerated. 
It was during a time when Candace was silently crumbling under the rigors of her high school's international baccalaureate program when she woke up with an aching jaw every morning because she'd been grinding her teeth all night. When Candace finally told her mother that she wanted to quit the program, her mother had slapped her. A second later, there was a snap in Candace's mind, and then flames circled her wrists like handcuffs. By the time her mother splashed her with water, it was too late. The white flames had licked up her arms and shoulders, an inferno that grew until everything went dark, like a plug was pulled. How about other stuff? Fiona asked. Other stuff? Yeah, like what else are you all about? Oh. It had been a while since anyone asked Candace about herself outside of her condition. She stared at her hands, where white curls of dead skin were still flaking off, then tucked them between her thighs. I have a little brother. He's entering high school and really smart. Yeah? Tell me more. The last embers of anger in Candace's mind fizzled out the more they talked, the more Fiona leaned in with those big eyes, like Candace was actually interesting. By the time they split up in the hall to go to their respective morning checkups, a lightness had started to flicker inside Candace's chest. They ate breakfast every day after that, always sitting by the same bay window, Candace always talking about herself, while Fiona wolfed down a leaning tower of toast. When Candace was with her, she forgot that she was bald, that there were scabby parts of herself that needed to be covered up with bandages. Fiona accepted her in a way that no one else did, including Candace's mother, who decided Sammy should attend a boarding school to get away from his inflammable sister. One evening, Candace found Fiona sitting in the eating area during dinner. There was a white box on the table, along with two plastic forks. It's my birthday today, Fiona said. Want to help me celebrate? Fiona's father had sent her a strawberry shortcake. They'd known each other for two weeks now, enough time for Candace to notice how Fiona wrinkled her nose whenever she was in a bad mood, like right now. He could have taken a day off to see me. Fiona dipped a strawberry in frosting and popped it into her mouth. She licked her fingers after, which Candace thought was really cute. One day shouldn't be too much to ask. It's like he's ashamed to be seen with me or something. Maybe he's just ashamed of himself, Candace said. Her own father had moved to Guangzhou to be with a woman he'd met online and hadn't contacted her or Sammy since. Their mother had said it was because he couldn't face himself. Maybe. Fiona took out a smartphone and scrolled through what looked like a glam metal playlist. Anyway, there are some benefits of having my own space. At least he bribed the admin here to let me keep my phone so he can keep tabs on me without actually being here. And I got to go to school in America, which is where I learned about music like this. She popped an earphone into Candace's ear and played Breathless by Quiet Riot, which Candace thought was actually pretty good. So what's your condition? Candace asked. It was a risk to ask this again since Fiona already didn't want to tell her the first time. But the reflection in the window showed them slumped together, close in a way that felt surreal. The soft cushions squeaked. Fiona straightened up and lifted her hospital gown. Candace sucked in a breath when she saw Fiona's bare stomach and what looked like a dark mole about the size of a fist. 
It protruded from where Fiona's belly button should have been and was perfectly round and solid, like a billiard ball. I woke up with this on my gut two months ago. Fiona jutted out her chin, looking more defiant than ashamed. I thought it was a mole at first, but it kept growing. X-rays showed nothing inside, and scalpels and other tools kept breaking on it during the removal process. And you know all about my useless genome sequencing trip. I've been eating like a starved animal because this thing sucks all the nutrients out of me. Candace swallowed. Weird. Yeah. Fiona covered herself again, looked Candace in the eyes. She smiled. So you want to make out? Candace kissed her first. She'd wanted to do so for a while and almost couldn't believe that she could. Fiona's lips tasted like strawberries and frosting, and when her fingernails grazed the back of Candace's neck, little sparks of electricity vibrated down Candace's spine. But the sparks dimmed almost as soon as they'd appeared, and over the next few days, they died off completely. After more kisses that left her feeling hollow, Candace asked to read the side effects of Solvin during a checkup with her doctor. May cause emotional numbness. That was the main flaw of the pills, she realized. It not only numbed the spikes of anger inside of her, but also the bursts of joy, too. Candace's mother visited a week later. After a consultation with the doctor, they determined that Candace was well enough to be discharged. She was instructed to take Solvin daily and to meet weekly with her doctor to monitor her progress. Here's my number. Fiona handed Candace a napkin on the day she was discharged. Candace had changed into her regular clothes, a hoodie and old jeans, and was surprised that Fiona, who must be very fashionable, still wanted to keep in touch despite seeing how she was dressed. You better call me, Miss Phoenix, or else. Candace did. She called Fiona that night, wrapped in blankets to shield her voice from her mother on the other side of the paper-thin wall. Sammy was already at St. Edward's now, but she didn't miss him like she thought she would. She didn't feel that lightness in her chest anymore, either. Not even when Fiona said, I love you, before she hung up. Candace visited Fiona regularly. She told her mother that she was going to Hong Kong Island to hand out resumes to retail shops, and for a few days she did. But when nightmares of white flames snaking up shelves of coffee beans started to jolt her awake with an aching jaw, something that hadn't happened since high school, she stopped her job-searching efforts. I had an argument with a customer when it happened, Candace said, when Fiona asked about the nightmares. It made me so angry that I stepped aside to take a breather. I leaned against the coffee shelf, and before I knew it, I was flaring up. That was what landed me in the hospital the last time. Candace tipped more of her mother's chashu bao onto Fiona's plate. Fiona had dropped at least ten pounds since Candace was discharged over a month ago. Her cheekbones poked sharply against her skin, and her scalp, waxy like a peeled onion, was starting to show through her thinning hair. Fiona picked up Candace's newly refilled solvent bottle and bounced it on her palm. You ever wonder if there is nothing wrong with you? Fiona asked. That it's places like this that are wrong, telling you what you should or shouldn't be? I burn to death. I'd say that's wrong, Candace said. 
She tugged the bottle easily out of Fiona's grasp and tipped it left and right. She watched the lavender pills bump and slide against each other and thought about how Fiona didn't have something similar to help her manage her condition. Sure, you burn to death, but you also come back to life. There's a kind of balance there, don't you think? Fiona got out her smartphone and showed Candace an English website. There was a painting of a phoenix, its red-tipped wings spread high above its flaming head, its beak raised to the sun. I've been reading up on phoenixes. Did you know there's a Chinese phoenix? It's a symbol for an empress. Uh, uh, feng something. Feng Wang, Candace said. She'd started noticing these differences between them, like how Fiona sometimes mispronounced Cantonese words when she spoke too fast or listened exclusively to English-language songs. Yeah, a Feng Wang. New wrinkles formed around Fiona's mouth when she smiled. You're my Feng Wang, you know. You bring me luck. Candace looked away. Fiona, with her limited knowledge of local culture as a rich kid who grew up abroad, didn't know that the Feng Wang wasn't actually a phoenix. It was simply a bird that never died, a creature that Candace, who had died many times, could never be. It was a small thing, but it deepened the crack in Candace's belief that they could ever understand each other. She waited a few days before visiting Fiona, and then an entire week. When she did visit, it was mainly to talk with her doctor or get a refill of Solvin. Her conversations with Fiona became clipped and flat, and eventually she stopped replying to Fiona's texts altogether. The doctor upped Candace's dosage when she told him about the mild blips of annoyance she still experienced, which cloaked her emotions under a heavier blanket of numbness, but at least it seemed to have eliminated her incinerations for good. But on the day she found out that St. Edward's had bumped up Sammy's scholarship from partial to full, Candace broke her silence and called Fiona to tell her the good news. Fiona had once offered to pay the rest of Sammy's school expenses if Candace's family couldn't afford it, and the news would put the matter to rest once and for all. Fiona didn't answer. Not on the first day Candace called, nor the second. When Fiona didn't answer for three days in a row, Candace took the ferry to the hospital to see her. The front desk receptionist told Candace that Fiona had checked out the week before. They couldn't give Candace confidential patient information, so she left the hospital without knowing where Fiona lived or whether she was even still alive. The days smeared into each other after that. Candace's calls continued going straight to voicemail. Online searches for Fiona Chow turned up strangers' profiles, and there were too many businessmen by the name of Chow in Hong Kong to count. When the trees lit up with holiday lights and wet snow sloshed across the pavement, Solvin flatlined Candace's nerves enough for her to start looking for a job again. She applied at places like Louis Vuitton and Hermès, but stopped after she realized that Fiona might not even shop at those stores. Or did she? Candace didn't know. She had always talked while Fiona listened, and even when Fiona did throw in the occasional comment about her life, they were limited to complaints about her father and her opinions on music, like whether Kiss was more innovative than Motley Crue. Candace cursed herself for not having asked more about Fiona, like the name of the real estate development company her father owned. 
At least I can stuff my face without worrying about gaining weight, Fiona said, in a dream that made Candace blink awake with tears on Christmas morning. At least there's that. Candace hadn't cried in a long time, and the fact that she still could startled her. She climbed into Sammy's old bunk, plugged in his CD player, and listened to Poison by Alice Cooper on repeat. Her mother was on the phone in the kitchen, telling someone about how hardworking Sammy was, who chose to study at St. Edward's instead of coming home for Christmas. Candace turned up the volume and curled on her side. She stared at the yellowing math equations Sammy had taped on the wall and strained and strained, but her eyes remained dry, just a hollow gurgle escaping her throat. After more failed attempts to cry, to laugh, to generate any emotion that made her feel alive, Candace went online. Her research told her that solvent didn't work the same way for everyone, how some ended up fatigued instead of emotionally numb, or needed heavier dosages to achieve the same results. But the most helpful resource she found was a forum where local people discussed their personal experiences with solvent. It's not enough for me just to take pills, one user wrote. I need yoga to manage my stress levels on a day-to-day -day basis. I agree, someone else commented. I have to track my triggers in a journal so I can deal with them better next time. When Candace asked the forum about what she should do to feel human again, she received the following answer. You should speak to a professional instead of asking us. If you can't afford one, come to our Thursday meetups. There's a therapist who donates her time to our group. Candace went. The meeting was held at a Starbucks in Harbor City, which smelled like hazelnut and vanilla and made her miss working as a barista. She sipped her dark roast and listened to Dr. Lamb, the therapist, talk about techniques to interrupt negative thinking patterns. The group members then shared their wins and losses from the past week, all the challenges they tackled or would handle better next time. But the more Candace listened, the more she imagined the shelves of coffee beans around them bursting into white flames. She wasn't like the others in the group. She was different, cursed with a condition that they couldn't understand. She shouldn't have come here. But as she stood to leave, Dr. Lamb asked, Are you the one who asked about feeling human again? Dr. Lamb's eyes were so warm and perceptive that Candace sat back down. She tensed up under the scrutiny of the group, but Dr. Lamb nodded at her, as though giving Candace permission to speak. It wasn't as bad as Candace thought. She told them about her incinerations and hospitalizations, and none of the group members moved away from her or accused her of lying. Some even patted her on the shoulder and offered words of encouragement. Come to my office this weekend, Dr. Lamb said, and handed Candace her contact card when it was time to leave. We'll talk one-on-one -on -one and create a treatment plan that works for you. Candace went home in a daze, feeling more hopeful than she had in the half years since she started taking Solven. She went to Dr. Lamb's office that weekend and then the weekend after that. They spoke with Candace's doctor from the hospital and created a treatment plan that relied less blindly on high dosages of Solven and more on everyday coping skills and other things Candace had been neglecting, like eating better and getting enough sleep. Dr. Lamb couldn't explain how Candace's temper led to her flare-ups, but it was more important to help her manage her condition than to endlessly dissect its cause. What if this plan doesn't work? Candace asked Dr. Lamb one evening at her office. 
which overlooked the southern shore of Hong Kong Island. Candace could see the hospital from this angle, including the bay window where she and Fiona ate breakfast every morning. Then we'll keep adjusting until it does, Dr. Lamb said. The hardest part wasn't following the new treatment plan, but convincing Candace's mother that a new plan was needed. When Candace told her mother about it, her mother threw down the cleaver she'd been slicing cabbage with. You haven't incinerated once since you started your current plan. Now you want to risk all your progress on something new. Her mother frowned at Candace, and it hurt to look at those dark eye bags. And no, her mother had them because she worked hard for her children. Who is this therapist, anyway? Is she really helping you for free? She's one of the best therapists around, Candace said, thinking of the degrees and awards that decked Dr. Lamb's office. I'm numb all the time, Ma. I can't feel anything anymore. You're also not being burned alive. Her mother pushed past her and went into the bathroom. She turned on the tap and splashed water on her face, which she always did to hide her tears. Whatever numbness you feel is worth it if it means you get to stay alive. I can't even cry anymore, Candace said. It's keeping me alive, but it's robbing me of reasons to live. How can you be so selfish? Her mother looked up so fast that water droplets or tears splashed onto Candace's cheeks. Do you know how it feels to have to pick up your child's remains? To watch your child's ashes bubble in the hyperbaric chamber, wondering if this is the one time she can't come back? I can't even talk about you at church. Do you know what it's like to have to pretend your daughter is normal all the time, when she's clearly not? The words cut deeply, but Candace straightened up like Fiona would have done and held her ground. Her mother continued to list reasons why the new treatment plan wouldn't work but all Candace could hear were Fiona's words. You ever wonder if there's actually nothing wrong with you? Candace pushed her mother away. She went into her bedroom, stuffed clothes and her treatment plan into her backpack, and left home that night. She headed to St. Edward's International School, where she met Sammy on the cobblestone path outside the main gates. Of course I support your decision, Sammy said, after Candace told him what happened. We've been learning about mindfulness in psychology class. Apparently, it can help you cope with depression and other disorders. I also started meditating to deal with exam stress, and it's been helping a ton. So if only taking Solven isn't working for you, you have the right to test other solutions. Candace stared at him. Sammy had grown an inch since she'd last seen him, and the stubble on his chin made him look more grown up than ever. There was a small Buddha statue on his desk and a rolled-up yoga mat tucked under his bed. It seemed impossible, but Sammy, her wunderkind little brother who was good at everything, probably also had his own issues to deal with. What? Sammy frowned. Like her, he'd been conditioned to interpret all glances in his direction as critical looks. I'm proud of you, Candace said. She was proud of herself, too for seeing how she and her brother weren't so different after all, and for reclaiming the parts of herself she'd lost. Candace slept on the floor of Sammy's dorm and began the new treatment plan. Dr. Lamb taught her how to pay attention to her breath and to use cognitive behavioral therapy techniques to handle unpleasant situations, like the phone call with her mother about why she needed space to carry out the new treatment and therefore wouldn't be coming home. 
Candace continued going to the Thursday meetups. One of the group members was a manager at a luxury hotel in Chimsha Shui and gave Candace a job as a waitress at their restaurant. It was hard, grueling work. She not only handled orders, but also wiped tables and mopped floors. But there was a rhythm to the work that soothed her. Sometimes, when she folded the cloth napkins into swan shapes, it felt like she was folding up her own jagged emotions that still crept up every now and then, too. She even learned to control her flames. Instead of trying to fight them or stuff them down like she did before, she allowed them to flow through and out of her before they ballooned into something chaotic. Check it out, Candace whispered to Sammy one night. A pale flame flickered on her index finger and cast a soft glow across the dark room. It grew or shrank depending on how hard she concentrated. I'm a light source, Sammy. Sammy laughed and clapped, and in that moment, Candace felt like her condition wasn't something she needed to hide anymore. Her mother had raised her to never talk about her flare-ups, to explain her absences from school or church with averted gazes and white lies, but now she chose to rewrite her narrative and make her condition into something beautiful. By the time the snow melted and new leaves started to grow on the trees, Candace had learned enough techniques for her solvent dosage to be safely decreased. It was around this time that she met Fiona again. Fiona walked into the restaurant where Candace worked. She was skeletal now and looked childlike in her wavy wig and oversized cardigan, but the joy that pulsed through Candace was still enough to knock her over. When their eyes met, Candace smiled at her, and it was a miracle when Fiona smiled back. I didn't answer your calls because I didn't want you to see me, Fiona said, once they got together at a Starbucks after Candace's shift. Candace had wanted to pay for Fiona's vanilla latte, but Fiona bought drinks for the both of them instead, joking how she needed to help out the millennial who was living paycheck to paycheck. The old Candace would have been annoyed at this blatant acknowledgement of their socioeconomic differences, but now it was easy for her to let the negative emotions go. I look horrible, don't I? Fiona asked, after enough silence had passed. Candace hugged her. It was a relief when the tears came, and as she breathed in Fiona's blossom perfume, she thought of the coming summer and how it was almost a year ago that they first met in the hospital. Where are you getting treatment now? Candace asked when they pulled apart. Fiona didn't meet Candace's eyes. I'm not. She told Candace that she'd stopped treatment last fall when the doctors and specialists told her that her mole was beyond their control. Unlike Candace, Fiona's condition couldn't be managed at all. Her mole was rooted in all the systems of her body and would continue to grow and live off of her until there was nothing left. Fiona unbuttoned her heavy cardigan and showed Candace the mole, which was as big as a bowling ball now. The sight was a cold blade in Candace's chest. She put her face in her hands and wondered where all the time went. It couldn't happen any other way. They decided to do it, and the time was now. The sun glared over the mountains when they got off the lift. It was all green on this side of Hong Kong Island, no expensive hospitals or congested cityscapes in sight. Everything smelled piney and fresh so close to the peak, and as Candace led Fiona up the steps, 
she thought that this must be how it felt to be reborn without having to die for it. Why did we have to go all the way up here? Fiona's voice was small, but the wind carried it to Candace. It was autumn now, though it felt more like summer, as Candace circled white flames over them to keep them warm. So you can go out in style, duh. Candace bent down and helped Fiona climb onto her back. Fiona barely weighed anything now, with most of her heaviness coming from the mold that had expanded across her chest, which grazed uncomfortably against Candace's back as they climbed. Fiona pressed her chapped lips against the shell of Candace's ear. I know when you fell in love with me, Fiona said, a smile in her voice. Candace grinned. Yeah, yeah, Fiona laughed, a wheezy sound that broke Candace's heart. It was when I showed you my killer abs. It took a while for Candace to realize that Fiona was referring to the night they leaned against each other on the sofa when Fiona first showed her the mole. It was easy to see why Fiona would choose that moment, since they'd kissed not long after, so Candace didn't challenge that assumption. She was only now starting to realize how she might have loved Fiona that night she heard Alice Cooper playing in the next room, how she might have loved Fiona before she even met her. By the time they reached the peak, sweat stung Candace's eyes and her knees wobbled from carrying Fiona. But it was worth it when she took in the view, a deep blue sky, endless forested mountains, thick mist curling over the clear shell of water. This was the tallest mountain on Hong Kong Island, the closest they could get to heaven from the ground. Will Fiona come back like I can? Candace didn't have an answer. She snapped off her gloves and held Fiona's bony face in her hands. She thought about her life up until now. Her little brother, who would always be light years ahead. Her mother, who would finally come to terms with a new treatment plan, but now found fault with Candace's job as a waitress since she believed Candace should go back to school instead. And then she thought of Fiona. Candace stared into Fiona's eyes, like everything she wished she could say could be communicated in that single look. Like how mythology didn't mean a damn thing outside of the meaning you gave it. How you could be a Feng Wong and still rise from the ashes, if you so choose. How, in this version of the Phoenix myth, their version, ashes didn't just restore the Phoenix but those she cared about, too. Candace took Fiona's hand in hers. White flames circled over them, ready to swallow them up at Candace's command. Ready, Empress? Fiona nodded and squeezed her hand. Together, they burned. Welcome back. You've been listening to Justine Eyre reading The Fung Wong by Millie Ho. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2020 by Lightspeed Magazine. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo Award-winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage via Patreon at lightspeedmagazine.com/support. 
Lightspeed is sponsored this month by John Joseph Adams Books, a science fiction fantasy imprint of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, whose current feature title is Creatures of Charm and Hunger by Molly Tanzer. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Repnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.